Max Tuning, we're live. What's up, man? What's going on, guys? All right, so, ready for this Potter. <laughs> um, Max, so you don't really know me very well, at least not as well as I know you. Uh, and I know I don't know you personally very well. You and I have spoken twice on the phone, um, all because I reached out to you and you were generous enough to give me your time over the years, which I've always appreciated. And um, I have zero goal with this podcast. There's no goal. There's no like, hey, I want to achieve this. I want people to get this. Really, the main goal is number one is I want to just have a really great conversation with you. And also for anyone who listens to my podcast, I would love for them to get to know you better. Just because from what I've gotten from you, you've made my life better, not even necessarily from things I've learned, just from like seeing you and like watching your journey throughout the years, especially on YouTube. Um, so before I go in any more detail, could you just like introduce yourself for anyone who might not know you or even for people who do know you? What's up guys. I'm Max tuning. Uh, I still identify myself as a content creator, even though I guess the world would probably perceive me more now as a, a business owner for a couple brands. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've content creator, YouTube guy turned into business mogul by accident and trying to figure it out each day while showcasing to my audience that you don't need to be a crazy guru to find success in life. And, um, you know, you can just be figured out each day. And, um, I try to show the, the real sides of building businesses, um, without all the fluff of making it seem like I know everything. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. I've been doing this for about 10 or 11 years now. So, I think you and I actually have a lot of similarities and I was thinking about it before we got on. So I started making content in July of 2011, right? I, I made a website and I just started writing fitness articles. When, when did you, did you get in around the same time, like making content around that same time frame? I started making content content in 2013. Uh, so but yeah, well, I guess it'd be 2000, you know, I need to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up my video cause I always get 2012, in 2013 mixed up, but I'm, I'm going to, we're going to solve the, uh, we're going to solve the, the thing right now. I uploaded my first video on a, my first real video on January 14th, 2013. So yeah, so it's been a little over 10 years now, almost 11 years. So why did you do that? Like, why did you upload that first video? I have, I actually have a, a great reasoning for this one is, uh, so my first real video, I, my YouTube channel actually started like 2011, but I was big in like forms at the time. And I just had a YouTube channel to upload clips of me, like hitting PRs. It'd be like just a 30 second clip of me doing a, a, a certain lift, like a deadlift. So I could put that clip on. It was just like a, you know, how photo bucket was the place to put your photos, to put them on other uh, platforms. It was like, YouTube was just a place that I could embed the video because I was able to post videos on bodybuilding.com. Like you know, so I, that's just where I uploaded them. And, um, so, but then when I made my actual first video was because I bought this, uh, forever Inzer belt. It's, you know, I think it's the, they created the whole lever belts. They're, they're amazing. Um, still to this day. And I, I, I've always been a consumer of content. So even since like 2000 and I think I started being on YouTube watching content, like in 2008 from people like Philip DeFranco, Kev Jumba, Kasim G um, and some of these people who are still around, I still watch to this day. So I've always been a consumer of content. And before I started making fitness content, I was watching some of the people that I'm now best friends with, which is crazy. 
Um, and I was looking to buy a, a new belt for working out and I would watch a bunch of reviews on YouTube, right? I would, that's, and I'd watch like people like, um, this guy, Matt Ogus, who's one of the earlier, uh, fitness guys. Right. And he would make these videos about how this great this belt was and all these things. So I ordered this belt based on, you know, watching people online. And then when I got it, I was like, you know, like, what if, like, I should, I should do a review on my thoughts about the belt and here's why I bought the belt. And cause it's, it's, it's maybe it's a little bit different and here's just my thoughts. And uh, yeah, that was like what started it. And I remember even telling this, to my friends are like, you're going to, you uploaded a video on YouTube. I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, but like I watched videos to buy this belt. So maybe other people will watch my video to buy this belt. And that was like the whole purpose. And then, then, then the, uh, the domino effect started happening, you know? And so when you first started it, the idea of a business was not really part of your thought process. It was just like, you just wanted to upload it just yeah. to get your thoughts and have, and help people. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was never a thought for really anyone for the earlier time. There was no, like the, back in my day, it was like, you know, it was like almost like the more pure form of social content because people were, were not making any money from it. So you could tell people were just doing it because they liked doing it. Then, um, and, and there was no, there was like one or two people that were like making a living doing it, at least in my world. Right. Or maybe some people were making a couple hundred bucks here and there, but no one was, there wasn't tens of thousands of people like there are now where there's a very clear path blueprint. Here's what you do. Um, everyone, like we were the earlier pioneers of fitness, YouTube content. Right. Um, I was in like, kind of like the second wave after about a year and a half in and, um, and thank goodness I got in then because I would be screwed if I tried to start now. And <laughs> yeah, it was like, everyone was just making content because you liked making it. And no, there was no intention to make money. It was after a certain amount of time, people were like, oh, if I make merch with a shirt, like a, you know, max fitness or something, mine was this like deadlift bra shirt, but I was like, oh, you can make a couple extra bucks and that's cool. And then about two years in, then I was like, oh, let me create a clothing brand. And, you know, so it all started that, but it wasn't, I feel that most people start social media now, not because they've fallen in love with sharing content to the world. They would prefer the fame and riches of social media over the traditional path in life. And they almost feel, even though I wouldn't say it is, but I think most people think that the level of success they can have will be the e in the easiest path to get there is social media. Mm -hmm. And they think that they're just going to try their hand at it. And some people find success and some people don't. And I feel the people that don't, some people either are like, okay, this isn't for me. Or some people are so like, I refuse to live a traditional path that I will sleep in my car until I make it on social media, which is just a weird way to like, it's weird evolution of the world, right? I was getting made fun of for making videos back in the day. Now you're, now you're, now you're made fun of if you're not on social media, you know? Yeah. It's wild, man. I think, I think you're right. I, I feel like people have this skewed idea that the more followers they have equals more happiness and like more followers will lead to more money, which leads to more admiration from others, or maybe even jealousy from others. And they mm -hmm. think that that will bring them more happiness. And in my, in my case, at least, or in my, uh, in my thoughts, I think it's, it's actually completely backwards. If you're chasing happiness through, higher follower numbers, higher viewer numbers, higher, more money, whatever it is, just to get the admiration or jealousy of others. It's a never, it, it never ends. And it actually gets you, it yeah. drains you and makes you more sad, more upset, the more you go. 
Yeah, it's definitely like the hedonic treadmill of like you always kind of want more than you you want what you, you like once you get to where you think you want to be, you just want to get even further. And yeah, there's these dopamine hits when you get more followers. And and I think the what what I appreciated over gaining followers over so many years was like, hey, you know, my my work is being appreciated. My I, I'm I'm it's growing because I'm putting the work in. It was like a return on my investment of time was more followers and but it wasn't like I wanted more followers to build more money. It's just, I just wanted to like entertain more people and, you know, showcase my life to more people. And, you know, at the time it was giving fitness advice and influencing people to powerlift and deadlift to more people. Whereas now my content has uh, drastically changed, but um, yeah, it, it's a, uh, you definitely want, you want, you always want more. And when you get, you, when you get to where you want to be, you're just going to think that's not enough and you need even more. So it's a, it's this, uh, this carrot that just continues to be further and further away that you're chasing. Sort of like powerlifting, right? Like you hit a new personal record. You've been waiting for this personal record for like months or years. You hit that milestone and then you're like, you're happy for like a minute. And then you're like, all right, well now I need to do this. It's like, it, it's never enough. No matter well, regardless I, what the PR is. I've, I've, for me, powerlifting, I have actually finally, I've hit the, it's it's enough for me. I have, I and I and I don't, I don't even say this in jest. I have zero interest or care to lift heavier weights on the squat bench deadlift than I've lifted. Like I, I've I think I've hit numbers that are pinnacles for me. More than ninety five percent of the population, more than people who would talk shit about me giving up on powerlifting. I can lift more than them, so I'm like I don't care and. I've hit an, all that I want to achieve. I, I've 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 hit every level of achievement that I want to hit with powerlifting. That I'm I'm kind of like I'm done with powerlifting. Yeah, I say that maybe I'll get back into it, but for now, like if I never deadlift again, I'm fine. I, it's not gonna eat at me to wish I had lifted 700 when I only lift 650. No, I don't care. I don't care. It's it becomes more or less irrelevant after what like when you're in it, when you're competing, when you want to lift as much like every PR is like, all right, well, I just need to get more. But after a certain yeah. point, I feel like after a certain age, you have the aches and pains and you're like, all right, yeah. this is I, just not worth it. The analogy I use now is like, it's like I've hit level 90 in a character and like level 100 is the cap. But like to get from level one, getting from level one to 90 was a lot of fun, but getting to level 90 to 100 is just a, a annoying grind with very minimal return and a lot of effort you got to put in to be level 91. And you're like, am I going to be any happier at level 91 at 90? Nah, it was fun getting to 90. I don't care about getting to level 100. Like yeah. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to move on to the next game, you know? <laughs> and like, for me, I've beaten the game that I want to play. And like, I'm, I'm on to business life enjoyment with my partner and, you know, just uh, enjoying life now. So before you started making content, actually even during while you're making content, you were working another job. Like, can you talk mm -hmm. about that? What were you doing? And, and, uh, and just, yeah. So I, so like I said, so January, 2013 was when I started my first YouTube video and I graduated college in May. So a couple months after that. So I basically graduated college at the exact time that I started creating content. Um, and at the time it wasn't like, Oh, if this really takes off before I graduate, I might be able to make this full-time career. No, that was not a thought in my mind. It was like, I just make YouTube videos on the side. That's like what I, it's just a hobby. It's just like I work, like working on Jeeps, just like I like working out. I make YouTube videos as a little side thing I do. It's cool getting the feedback from people. It's cool being in this little community. Um, so I went on to be 
following my mom's footsteps to be a, an IT recruiter, an IT staffing recruiter, which is probably the most, I don't know if it is now, but back then it's like, was the most generic job that most college kids got. Cause you just needed a degree. It didn't matter what your degree was in. And they just wanted to churn and burn kids. Like, so they just needed more bodies on the phones and on the computers. So it's like, it was just an easy job to get that had a lot of potential upside. I never made more than like 40 or 45 K at that job, but I worked there as soon as I graduated. And, uh, I worked at that job for three years and also did social media on the side. So I was uploading three, four videos a week. Um, I've, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I continued to level up and then in 2017, so like seven years ago in July, actually this month, seven years ago, I, uh, I quit my job because I was financially stable enough. I wanted to open my own gym with some buddies to film content. Um, and I wanted to seize opportunities to go and collaborate with people where like, I'd already hit my, my PTO. So I couldn't, I couldn't take any more time off. And I was, you know, for a while as I was kind of balancing both, but I got to the point that I was at the job where I was, I was doing as little as possible to make it not a red flag that I wasn't working that hard. Like I was just hitting, I was doing enough calls. I was being, you know, doing enough work, hitting enough of the commission, but I wasn't trying to go above and beyond because every other ounce I was like on my phone, kind of like trying to build like, uh, you know, my clothing or doing little social media posts or doing customer service. Like that's what I was doing. I wasn't doing the job. So it's like, you know, I was, I was wasting their time and money. So I was like, look, I need to, not only do I feel like a, like a leech just working at a job where I'm actually working 10% of the time. Um, I also was like, I need to, I need to take this leap. So I'm curious how, like, if you're working at that job and you're doing just enough mm-hmm. to like keep them off your back, if you had to guess, how much time were you actually working at the job? Like how much of that, of the day was actual like work for them, not work for you? It's, it's literally like, I mean, you're an older guy. You've probably seen like office space. So, I mean, it's you know, <laughs> where he does the things like any given day, I do about 45 minutes of actual work. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd probably say about an hour or two at most of the like eight hour day that I'd be there. I hate you know, with, with corporate jobs. It's like, you know, you got to be there at eight or nine, but you get there and then that's just time you got to get there. And then you're like, now I'm going to go make my, my bagel and my coffee. And then I'm going to sit down and chat with my coworkers. You don't even start working until like an hour and a half after you get there. And then like at lunch, you're like, it's, so it's <laughs> like the day's already chopped up so much. Um, and then, yeah, so that was, it, it, it started great. I was balancing great. I was doing my job. I remember the first day I got to my job, I was like, exceeding what they thought I could do. And I was doing really well. And then just, you know, my interests changed and I started realizing that I was like, I, I don't want to do this job anymore. And, um, yeah, I remember picking up the phone, calling my boss cause I was working remote in DC and my boss was in Virginia and, um, I was like, yo, I'm out. And he, he was very supportive of it. He understood it. He was like, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing if I was you best of luck. If it doesn't work out, you can always come back. <laughs> so so from what I've seen from you, just again on YouTube and social, because we've only spoken twice and it was all like mm-hmm. selfishly me asking for your advice on, on YouTube. No, you're good, bro. Um, it seems like you've always been like a numbers guy and like numbers make sense to you. Finance makes sense to you. Going into that job out of school, did that make sense to you from a career perspective, lifetime perspective? Like this is what you'll probably want to stay in. You'll want to stay in it. And then like, 
climbing um, up the ladder and like would that would that be financially uh would that make sense for you is that what you had had envisioned for yourself prior to understanding social media could be a thing i guess i didn't know how this like plan out for me um i just the the my my goal when i was like a sophomore or junior in college was with my buddies we joked about we just wanted to have a job make a bunch of money didn't care if we liked it or not because we could make a bunch of money i we wanted i wanted a briefcase I wanted to basically live like I was like, you know, like the show suits. Like I was like, I want to dress up. I want to have a corner glass office. I want to have an assistant <laughs> that I can be like, uh, like cancel all my meetings today. You know, uh, <laughs> when I called someone in to have a meeting, I wanted them to be like stressed that I wanted to talk to them because like I was like this manager, an important person. And, you know, and then in reality, I was like, oh, that's not actually probably what most kids get out of college. Um, I saw that my mom did IT staffing, saw that she lived a very comfortable life. And, um, you know, started on that path and, but I never had these, like, I don't know. I just always expected to kind of live a very average life. I was like, I did average in school. I was, I didn't, I wasn't like, you know, the valedictorian, I wasn't the prom King. I wasn't the, all this kind of thing where like I was winning at everything and I was going to have this like crazy successful job out of college. Um, I made very average money and I, um, you know, I used to, I, I remember having conversations with one of my roommates when we'd be, we'd, we got, you know, on the weekends, like the bars and stuff. And I think I was making like 45 K at the time. And, uh, I remember talking to him and at the, at that time, that was plenty of money for me to do what I needed to do. My rent was, I, I paid like $400 a month in rent. Cause I shared a place and I was like, dude, we can live in this shitty place for a while, but I don't care. <laughs> and then I was like, we're using so much money. And I, I told him, I was like, I don't even know what I would do if I made more money than this. I was like, I feel like 45, 50 K is like, great. Like, I don't like, like, what am I going to do with more money? I don't care about buying fancy shit. So, uh, you know, and no one around me at the time was entrepreneurial. I, I had like one buddy I can remember who would had like a t-shirt business would sell these like kind of like hippie weed smoking type of like graphic tees and, but that was like, the no one was entrepreneurial. No one was starting their own businesses. No one was like anti-college. It, it was a, a different mindset. It was a different time. Um, it, it was rare that you ever heard. No one was talking about drop shipping on Amazon. No one was, <laughs> no one was doing any of that. You, you were like the crazy successful guy. If you were like working at a doctor's office and made like 70K, you were like, what the fuck? Like, oh my <laughs> God. Like you were an anomaly. Um, so just, it's the times have changed and, uh, it's been an interesting shift and it's cool to see so many people that can make all this money on the internet. And, um, you know, there's good and bad and everything, but I think it's a, it was a good shift for the, the, the culture of the world. So things you're saying are just sparking new questions. So it's almost like we're, we're gonna be working backwards. You mentioned that you were average in your words. Um, and even though you said you were average in school, I'm no, like, I wasn't average on my word. That I was, I was average <laughs> Definite, <laughs> definition average. So what was your childhood? Like, like what was school? Like, did you enjoy school? Did you enjoy being a kid? Like what, what was that? Like, what was young max? Like more annoying than I am now. I, uh, <laughs> I, as, as a kid, I was like, you know, the same amped up like high energy kid always getting into mischief and trouble but really just like running my mouth and so like in uh even as early as like elementary school middle school I was getting in trouble for just not shutting up in class talking talking back to teachers but not like in a like 
mean way, but more just like, I just always had some comeback, some funny thing, wanted to be the center of attention, class clown. Um, so my mom's been dealing with that forever. Who'd have known it, it would turn into like a career of me running my mouth. And, um, but yeah, so I was like a normal kid. I'd never gotten into any like crazy trouble besides just getting in trouble for being a funny kid. And, um, yeah. And like, you know, I, I school, I never really excelled at school because I was always getting points taken off for running my mouth. But even then, like I just had, I had a lot of trouble focusing. I just didn't like care that much. And for a while, like they thought it was like ADD or ADHD. And I was on like Ridlin and Paxil for a very short period of my time early on in my childhood. Like, but my body reacted weird to it. And I was like, had a ill reaction. So I stopped that. So I never like got diagnosed to it. I still think I probably had it. Cause like, I, I, I just could, couldn't concentrate. Like I couldn't study. I couldn't be in class. I couldn't calm down. I couldn't stop moving. I couldn't stop talking. Like, I just like, it was like impossible for me to just sit in a class and shut up. Um, it just couldn't happen until I went to college where I didn't have any friends in the classroom. And there I just was like, Oh, I guess I would just not talk. And then I did really well in college, but you know, I had like, a, <laughs> I had like a two, six or like a two and a half, 2.5 or 2.6 GPA in high school you know, didn't get into the one college I applied to because my GPA was bad. Um, only applied to one school. Yeah. Well, I only wanted to go to one school. I wanted to go to, <laughs> I wanted to go to the college, Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU. It's in the, the, the downtown of the capital of Virginia, Richmond. And, and my buddies went there who were great above me. So I'm like, Oh, this school is 20 minutes away. It was like, okay, my fam, my mom's close by if I ever need anything, you know, um, but also I could still work at my job that was in my high school town. I was like, oh, I can just stay at this job and it's only 20 minutes away. So I can just drive. I don't have to worry about a new job. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was cause my friends went there. It was like, what it was like, I wanted to go there. So I, that's the only school I wanted to go to. So I applied to there, didn't get in, was heartbroken. <laughs> and then I ended up going to community college, which ended up being the best thing ever for me uh, for a lot of reasons. But um, yeah, I ended, ended up graduating from my four-year university after five years and uh turned out all right so now i gotta ask like why was community college so good for you well i mean so the negatives of community college when i when i was a kid in 2008 was if you went to community college it was it, it was for two reasons it was because you were too poor to afford a four-year college or you were too stupid to get it basically all the like these are like the words i would use but like all the the dumb kids would yeah. go to community college and that was just a perception right Correct. now i don't agree with that but then it was like you would be embarrassed if you said you were going to community college or if the kids that were going to community college it'd be like oh of course they're going to community college they're the whatever like it's like it was just like this group of people like it was prestigious you were boasting about what college you got into it was it was Correct. if you got into a certain college more than another college it was like it was it was like a popularity contest on who got into the coolest school you know some kids went to you know west virginia it was just like the party school and you know radford and like all these schools and yeah i applied to one got denied went to community college but it ended up being the best thing because obviously the perks of hey it was a lot cheaper significantly cheaper but for me i still got the full college experience because even if I went to the, the, the college I wanted to get into, uh, my buddies who I said were a grade above me, 
they had already gone through the dorm phase. So their sophomore year, since it's a, a city college, you were allowed to get a, a, a house on campus or like on the, cause they basically own the whole downtown. Right. And um, so they were on the sophomore year, were already planning on getting a townhome. And I was like, oh, when I go to y'all's school, I'll come into that townhome as well. When I didn't get in, I was like, shit. But the <laughs> community college that I chose to go to had a campus downtown that was only like a mile away from the college I wanted to go to. So I was able to go to that campus and still live the college life, downtown life. So I never missed out on any college experience besides I didn't live in a dorm. Like, so, but from, I mean, as soon as I graduated high school, I moved downtown with my friends. I enjoyed college. I partied a lot. I drank a lot. I had a lot of fun. I grew up as a person kind of, um, but yeah, so it was in hindsight, it was great. And it was very easy for me community college the classes were just easier there were so many more opportunities for like extra credit or extra points on your test that were just wild that like you essentially couldn't do bad because there were so many as long as you just showed up to class and then even went to these little bonus extra after class things they would just give you extra points on your next test and it was just so easy for me like I didn't I, I would I'd be going to like accounting and finance or accounting and econ classes. And I'd see people on Facebook at these other colleges being like, Oh my God, thank God. I got a C in accounting one Oh two. Cause that was so terrible. And I'm like, I got an a plus in it and not because I'm so smart because it was so easy. Like, because like it was so easy because they gave us so many extra points, probably not good for learning the information, but I was like, I didn't, I never did an all nighter. I never like stressed about tests. Like so I, it was great for, for especially someone like me who like already wasn't that good at school. It is crazy when you think about it. Cause I remember I grew up on the East coast. I grew up in Massachusetts and no. that was very much the, the perception of community college. Uh, it, I, I had friends in California at that time who said like community college there, they, they were ahead of the curve in terms of a lot of kids went to community college in California and it wasn't a bad thing. Oftentimes they would go there and for like first two years, then they go to a, a different university after that just to save money. But at least on the East Coast, I feel like community college has had a very, very bad perception. My yeah. mom used to use it, and I love my mom to death. She's amazing. She used to use that as like a, a threat. She'd be like, if you don't pick up your grades, you're going to go to community college. Like, and be like, home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, it's uh, it's definitely interesting how 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 it's you know changed. But like, it was kind of like when you would tell your friends that. Oh, you, that's the college you're going to community college. They'd be like, Oh, yeah. nice, man. <laughs> like, nice. Like it, it, it wasn't like, Oh, cool. Who fucking cares? Like, you know, it was just like, Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's all right, man. It's all right. He had been. And I think in many places, people still are, they've been led to believe that the college you go to is a de determinant of your success in the future. Right. It's yeah. like if you go to XYZ, if you go to Harvard, that means you're going to be successful versus if you go to, I don't know, Framingham State, which is a college in Massachusetts, it's like you're going to be a failure. Just not the case at all. And especially mm -hmm. now with social media and, and opportunities to create your own life just from your phone. It's yeah. really like I, and what I found, at least for me, because I was traveling school too, oftentimes the people who were the worst in school and who often dealt with failure more early on and so much adversity as a result of not being seen as very smart or very intelligent early on go on to do really great things and aren't scared of failing they aren't scared of 
uploading a video and getting a bad a bad response. They're not scared of creating content and having bad comments because they've already gotten all the bad comments and all the papers and all the grades and they've already been through a lot of that the thought and idea of them not being smart. I I actually uh you know I I um I talked about that in a video not too long ago where people would uh you know say these comments and I'm like guys I've already been dealing with these comments my whole life and and I agreed and like you know for me I'm probably one of the most successful people to have ever gone to my like high school or something and then out of my all of the people that I was surrounding myself in high school and stuff I I have exceeded them if you were to measure success on a maybe financial level um and it's like you would have never thought that me of all people would would have would achieve so much and uh you know still want to continue more because you would have had this perception of me back in the day of I'm that max kid is just going to he's going to do okay at best you know he's going to do average and that's kind of what everyone's uh I guess idea of what their future for me was going to be. And like, and I, I, I thought I was going to live a very average and I was fine with it. I was fine with, I didn't was like, I deserve more. I want more. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. It wasn't like this thing of like, I was a fat kid in school and I'm going to prove everyone wrong wrong. And I'm going to become a, you know, an actor and lean, you know, it wasn't like the, <laughs> what, what is the movie of Ryan Reynolds? Like my best friend girl or you no, know, uh, God, what's that movie? Ryan Reynolds movie where he comes, he was a fat kid and he comes back and he wants to prove everyone wrong yeah, and like yeah, 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 live yeah, this yeah. crazy life. And he has um, like the that, braces and stuff. Yeah. And like, so that wasn't like my mindset. It just happened to, to, to be that I was like, Oh no, like turns out like, it's not about your, uh, you know, the, the, it's not about like the foundation of like your school and stuff is going to dictate your level of success in life. And, um, it's been a wild ride and I still, I still can't believe it. I still have like an, you know, imposter syndrome, a lot of kind of being like, uh, you know, like how did all this happen to me? Like, how did, how did this happen to me? And, you know, you, you get in your mind a lot about like, you think certain levels of success are kind of reserved for certain types of people. Like, you know, Oh, you, when you see someone like a, a millionaire, you're like, Oh, that, yeah, that would, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course they're a millionaire. Like, you know, like look at them, you know, whatever, but like, I guess you, you never think that it could happen to you. And then you never, once you hit certain levels, you're like, well, there's no way I can go up from this. There's no way I can achieve more than this or make a bigger impact than this. And, you know, I keep proving myself wrong and I, I hope to keep doing that. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way to think about it because I don't, again, I wasn't like crushing it throughout my whole life. I use the references of like, you know, I wasn't a star athlete, prom king valedictorian top of my class coolest guy in school you know I wasn't that so it's like so I never had this like idea that like I am gonna be a, I'm gonna achieve a lot and uh, so it's it's cool to see that I'm you know at least in my eyes and we're we're, we're 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 working towards that achieving a lot aspect you know yeah but but, but the carrot always keeps moving so one thing that one of my mentors early on, his name is Pat Flynn. One thing he said to me about business that stuck with me, and I know that you're going to agree with this because he actually spoke about something very similar in, in, I think, your most recent video. He said to me, making more money will solve more problems until you get to a point in which making more money will cause more problems. And you said something similar to that in, in your, I think it was your Q&A video. Yeah. Um, 
I want to know like your thoughts on, on that in general, like in terms of uh, you never expected to, to have the success that you have, especially financially. Right. Um, are you at a point in which you're like, you know what, like I've made enough. I want to focus on other things. Like what are your thoughts on that as a whole? Yeah, I, I've, I've, I have like an interesting perspective on kind of like work and, and finances and stuff. And I definitely think that, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, it's not about the finance. You know, I look at it like, like the traditional path in life is, you know, let's say you work a traditional job, you put money away and you retire at the 60 or 70. And the reason you retire at that age is because by that time, the compounded interest of everything you're doing will hit this amount of money, you know, and that's just like, was the normal path. Right. And I think that, and that's when you can kind of calm down and relax and enjoy the fruits of your labors. And I'm more of someone, I'm like, well, what if you hit that level of financial freedom in your thirties? Does mm -hmm. that mean I need to keep working till 60 or it's like, am I less of a hard worker if someone else is working more than me, but if they're working to make more money and I've already made the money, then do I need to keep doing it? And, um, I definitely, you know, what I'm able to do in my life now with my schedule and my level of work that I have to do to maintain the things that I'm doing is much different than what it took to get to this point. Mm -hmm. And for me, there will be a point when enough is enough. And, and, um, and I think that as I get closer to my mid, you know, like when I get to like 35, I'm gonna be 34 this year. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start be ready to, you know, start a family and settle down. And I think I will want to just relax a lot more. I think I'll be like, look, I, I put in the work. I have enough money to support myself, my family, my kids, my kids, kids, like I can, I can support the people around me. So is more going to bring more happiness or is it just going to bring more stress? Mm. And, um, you have to balance that yourself. And for some people, you know, they, they love the the work, but it's like, why do you love the work? It's like, if the goal of the work is just to make the dollar, once you make the enough dollars, you don't need to do the work. And, um, I think for me, what I'll find fulfillment in is a, is a full circle where I can go back to just doing things that I love and not caring about the financial benefit of them. So doing things like making content and just not stressing about numbers and, you know, how much, how many, if I have sponsors or, you know, all these things, I just be like, I just can go back to 2013 max and just make videos. Cause I like making videos and it's like, I don't care about the analytics of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think I think for me, there is a point when enough is going to be enough and I don't need to hustle 24-7 like the culture makes you feel like you need to. You mentioned earlier that you still get imposter syndrome as though like you shouldn't have the level of success that you've had. Do you, even with all the success that you've had, do you still get stressed about finances? Do you get stressed about work? Is there like, does stress come along with that? Or, or are you in a place where you see things more logically and like it doesn't stress you out or like how, how do you deal with that? Like what's going on from that perspective? Yeah. I, I think, I think I still get stressed about money. Um, in, you know, the more money you have, the more more money, more problems, man. And, <laughs> you know, I was just talking to my, my, my girlfriend about this and, you know, because I went through this whole nightmare with like these United flights and I ended up like my flight ended up getting canceled and I had to rebook, but because I had to rebook last minute, even though it was their fault, it ended up costing me like 5,000 more dollars, which I was like, this is ridiculous. Like it's like their fault. 
and you have to rebook for a, a trip very soon, of course, it's more money than the trip I booked a month and a half ago. But why should I have to pay the difference when it's their fault? Like that doesn't make sense to me. Right. And I was getting so frustrated and so stressed about this $5,000 and like $5,000 is a lot of money. It is a like, and there's no reason, no matter how much money you make, no one wants to just throw $5,000 in the, in the fire. Right. Like no one wants to do that. But I was telling her, I was like, I don't understand. And it's like, and I hate, and I, I don't want to talk about it like in a, like a boisterous way, but I was like, the $5,000 is not going to impact my life at all. I was like, I'm at a point where that it, it's, that's nothing to me. It doesn't matter. Like, why am I stressing so much about this money? And it's like, it's just your money problems escalate in scale based on how much money you, you have. If you stressed about $5 back in the day, now you're going to stress about $500. And when you get to a point, you're going to start stressing about $5,000 and like everything and your problems start amplifying so that you know, what used to just be a little bit of a financial burden back in the day is now you're dealing with problems that are in the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars that are these problems. And it, and it does the stress scales. And that's why it's almost like, you know, everyone wants to build a really big business. But when you get to that big business, you're kind of like, this sucks. Like the amount of stress <laughs> that comes along with it, it's not as fun as it was, you know, when you hit your first million dollars, in a business as you should, or even, you know, even a hundred thousand dollars or a million, you know, whatever you hit these milestones and you're like, Oh my God, like, Whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. And then, then you, then you, and then it, the, the dopamine starts getting less when you hit 5 million or 10 million, you're just like, all right, that's, that's cool. But yeah, I got all this other, other like shit going on. <laughs> like you start, like, don't appreciate these wins anymore. Um, because your goalpost is continuing to move and, you know, and, and again, the, even the hedonic treadmill of how much money you think you need, I don't think people need as much money as they think they do. Correct. You know, if, if it's like, if, if, if you were to ask the average person be like, how much money do you think you need to stop working the rest of your life? And let's say people throw out a number, they're like $5 million. I don't know what the number is. Five a million dollars. Some people, maybe people more realistic, like a million doesn't make it last. Maybe if you have five million, you strategically invest it. You should be able to take five million dollars and never need to work again. Period. Right. And because of everything you can do with it. Um, but I'll tell you, when you when you when you get that number in your account, whatever the number is, you think that that's like what you need to to quit. You're gonna go. This ain't a fuck enough. I I know I, I need I need I, I need double this, and and you're gonna be so stressed, even though you have more money than you need. You, you, and you're not even like, and it's like, what would you even do with that money that you can't do right now? And the people are like, oh, I don't know. I would just, I would have more money. Like I'd have more be like, well, do you, do you stress now about your bills at all? Be like, well, no, I have enough. Be like, can you like, can you go on any trips you want? Can you buy like, you know, if you want to get yourself a gift, like, yeah, I can do that. Be like, well, do you want to be charting like private planes all the time and yachts and helicopters? You're like, no, I don't care about that. Be like, then why do you care about having so much more money? You're like, hmm. I don't know. Just I just I just need more money. Like like why? Like like I just do. Yeah. You know I I just do. It's so it's funny. Like and not to go off topic. I mean, as a fitness podcast first and foremost, but it also reminds me of when people when people want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. I want to get to 150 or 145, 140 pounds. And every time they hit the weight, it's like, but I need to lose more. I need to lose more. I need to lose more. Like it's never good enough because they keep looking in the mirror. And it's like, but I'm not. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's like, but can you have a glass of wine? Like, can you enjoy some of your favorite food? Like, are you yeah. going out? Like it's, it, I think it's very similar from that perspective. Well, I, I do the, like, I, I'm in a kind of a diet phase right now and I'm, I'm dieting 
when I literally have a girlfriend and I'm like dieting, normally maybe guys diet in the summer so they can, you know, <laughs> look the best at the beach for like a girl. When in reality, it's just of all the dudes that are like, man, he's shredded. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but like for me, I'm like, you know, my girl, she loves me whether I'm 10 pounds heavier or like shredded. Right. So she doesn't care. And I'm like dieting down to just literally take a leaner photo at the beach in Mexico next week. And I'm like stressed <laughs> about if I one night have like a bag of sour strips when I already hit my calories. And I'm like, it's like, who cares? Like you're <laughs> fine. Like Max, like you're, you're good, dude. Like that. And it it's, but you have the same yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, you're still like, Oh my God. Like, and it's like, you're dieting for what? Like, I'm already yeah. healthy. I already look good. I already look lean. Who cares if I drop down another pound or two? It's gonna. <laughs> no one's gonna care but me. It's yeah. It's it's a weird world, man. You know, I I, I sort of want to stay on finance, but now I'm, I'm gonna push a little bit more towards fitness. We can go back and forth. Um, when you first started making content, it was a lot of fitness stuff. There was a lot of strength training, a lot of powerlifting. Um, man, I think you've. I think you started the trend and you have the most amount of full day of eating videos ever recorded. Yeah. Um, now you don't do as much fitness stuff and dare to say nothing or like no fitness stuff. Is there a reason for why you made that transition? Uh, I think for the longest time I had this perception and it kind of was the reality of like in the fitness world, you needed, like you needed to have your thing, you know, Christian was the very like, good looking shredded motivational guy right <laughs> i was not the good looking not shredded but i was really <laughs> strong and i got to this realization i was like i have to keep getting stronger or people aren't going to care mm. so i kept having these like expectations like i, I got to keep deadlift i got to hit pr i got to hit pr i got to hit pr and then i started realizing that like there's going to be a point when i am not going to be the strongest i can't get any stronger these people would it was like I thought the world would crumble if someone could deadlift more than me in like the community <laughs> of people I had. And then when it happened and I was no longer the guy that could deadlift the most, people still kept watching my videos. And I was like, whoa, what the, like my world didn't implode, right? Like I thought that I had to be this guy. And it, I was like, wait, it turns out that people care more about my personality and make it my goofiness than how much I can deadlift. They came for the deadlift. They stayed for the max, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I realized. And now- it's kind of what I assume people want because I understand the numbers, but like, I think that most people do not care about my fitness anymore. Like, yeah, I, I show that it's a part of my life. I incorporated on a lot of my videos, but yeah, if you were to like extrapolate my content and be like, yeah, it's probably less than 10% of a video if I put fitness in a video and I'm a, I still consider myself a fitness YouTuber. Mm. Um, but I just hopefully to show people that, you know, it, I always say that fitness should be a part of your life. You should fit your, you should fit fitness around your life, not your life around fitness. And, you know, don't make your, the gym, the identity, because I went through a long period of my life where I, you know, whether it be the foods I was eating and restricting myself of like the types of food and what the ingredients were and thought that I had to live this way and it was miserable, um, and having a better relationship with like the foods I was eating. And then, um, but I was like obsessed with the gym and I was like not going and doing things. Cause I was like, no, I have to go work out in the morning when in reality, it's like, you can go do these things and you can still like, yeah, your workout might suffer a little bit, but it, it, it ain't no thing. Like who cares? Like, and it takes a long time to really come at peace with yourself, to have that realization of understanding a balance of life and not, you know, 
shutting out the world because you're a hardcore bodybuilder and powerlifter. And it's like, unless you're the top 1% and that's your livelihood and that's the only way you're making your money. Okay. Maybe you need to put a little more focus, but for 99% of us, we're, ne we're never stepping on the Olympia stage. We're never going to be making millions of dollars of how sh from how shredded we are. So why are you stressing so much, you know? So it's been a, it's been an interesting change in my content. Did so, so I've been very open, uh, in all of my content. So I can't come from a wrestling background and that really perpetuated disordered eating habits and really bad relationship with food and fitness when I was younger. Um, did you ever have any like disordered relationships with exercise or with fitness or nutrition or any of that? Like in what, what's like an example that you would, um, whether it's from the perspective of being like over obsessive with, uh, with calorie counting, maybe even getting anxiety at the thought of not being able to track macros at certain. Yeah. Years. Yeah. 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 No, I definitely like when macros were like a big part of my life and I still, I'm still counting, but I just don't like, I used to very much like weigh stuff out and it would stress me if I went to, I'd be fine with going to restaurants that were like chain restaurants that were on my fitness pal. But if I went to some random restaurant and I had to ballpark it, I'm like, God, I don't know how much, I don't know how much, you know, calories this is. And, um, I definitely did. And I went through a small period in my life when I was in the super bro phase where I thought, you know, I had to eat brown rice. I had to eat chicken with no seasoning. If I wanted to have cereal, it needed to be, uh, Wheaties, not the frosted <laughs> ones. Nothing could have high fructose corn syrup in it at all. If, if I bought bread and the first couple of ingredients said enriched wheat flour, I couldn't get it. Um, you know, I, I, and I went and I lived my life. And then after a long period of time, not only was it not as delicious, obviously, but it was also like, I'm not any stronger and I don't look any better <laughs> after doing all of this stuff. I'm like, why am I doing all this stuff? Like, why am I analyzing it so much? So I have a much better relationship with it, but I never... I've never had any personal sort of eating like disorder really. Um, but I definitely for a long period of time was very obsessed with macro counting. Um, but I still balanced it in a way where it never really like became a huge problem. Mm. It was just something that I, I personally cared a lot about. Got so it. I was like, I can't, Oh, I, I can't eat that. I've already gone. My, I'm, I've already hit my macros. I'm not eating that. Like I can't, but now I'm just kind of like, I don't care. Like whatever. Like, <laughs> How did you get into fitness? Like, were you an athlete in school? Like, how, how did you get into lifting? Like, how did all that happen? Definitely was not an athlete. I, uh, <laughs> the, I the only thing I ever excelled at with sports was uh, I wrestled from like sixth grade to ninth grade. And then I, I did like, not know that. I, yeah, I was a real, real skinny wrestler. Uh, like in, in ninth grade, I wrestled varsity 112 pounds at ninth grade. Sixth grade, I was 65 pound weight class. So I was like featherweight, <laughs> feather, featherweight. Um, but I really excelled at wrestling. I was good at it. Actually. I was, I would win a lot of the tournaments I would go to. Um, I believe but, it, especially cause you got that like wiry strength. It's, yeah. I, I did strength. I could like bend all these sorts of ways and stuff. <laughs> but, um, I, but then I started getting, uh, I got a job at 15 cause I wanted to get a car and I needed to work. So I was like, why am I going to wrestle if I can <laughs> make money and work? So I chose getting a job over wrestling. And at the time my mom was like, she thought I was going to like keep us. Cause I could have kept being varsity in high school, probably gone to college, but you got a spot, uh, 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 scholarship scholarship. I was going to say sponsorship. <laughs> um, but that just, I didn't have interest. So my mom was a little disappointed and, um, 
I never was really in, I was never into fitness in high school. When we had to, when we were forced to work out in high school as part of our gym class, I would just, I'd get points taken off during class. Cause I wouldn't be working out. Um, I remember dropping like a dumbbell on, I have like a scar on one of my fingers where those old, like hex, like cast iron, like dumbbells. Uh-huh. I like was doing like a bench press and like dropped the weight and it like pierced my finger and had to go get stitches, but I was stoked because I got to get out of gym class. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't get into fitness until my sophomore year of college. So it was 2010. I was probably 20, 20 or 21. Yeah. 20 years old, maybe night, maybe right at the end of 19. Um, but I said, I lived with a couple of buddies in a townhome. So the, so the, when we re-signed the lease for the first year, my, my roommates would go to the gym because there's a gold gym that I ended up serendipitously becoming a personal trainer at later in my life for a short period of time. But there's a gold's gym, like 500 feet from our uh, apartment complex or our townhome. So it was like right in the parking lot. And so they would go to the gym all the time. And I would just be sitting on the, like the couch while they would be like, do you want to go to the gym? I'm like, and I'd be like drinking a full calorie Pepsi, eating sour candy, even back then, um, like sour straws. And I'd be playing call of duty and I'd be like, dude, y'all are so lame for going to the gym. Who cares? Like, I, I already have a girlfriend, whatever. Like, y'all are so, like, who cares about lifting weights? So I wrote it all off. And then my sophomore year, I broke up with my like high school girlfriend and my roommate had broken up with his girl, a longtime girlfriend. And he was like, he came down and I remember he, he was, he basically, he said, he was like, look, I'm a little fat. You're a little skinny. <laughs> like I, I need to lose some weight. You need to gain some weight. Let's go to the gym. Let's like, let's go to the gym together. Let's be like workout partners. And I was like, he's like, just, just give it a try. Just like, come on, come with me. And I'm like, all right, man, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll try it out. Wow. And you really I, didn't even want to. Oh no. Yeah, no. He, he convinced me to go to the gym with him, <laughs> and it was, you know, for the longest time he would, he was, he had, he had done like football and stuff. So he knew how to work out. He knew how to lift weights and he would give me advice that I thought was just like dumb. He'd be like, we'd be benching. I'd be going down like a quarter of the way on bench, like half reps. And he's like, go down to your chest. I'm like, why? He's like, that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, yeah, but I can lift more weight. If I don't do that, why would I do that? That's so stupid. It's not like I'm, to comp- I'm not competing at this. I would, I have old videos I can find on like, I have videos that like before you could even actually record a video with your phone. It was like, there's apps that would record a whole bunch of photos as a video on your phone. And I have them on my, my old other, like on my other YouTube channel that I had. Um, and it's like me, like doing eighth rep squats and stuff. And, <laughs> and like, I thought I was going all the way down, but I'm literally barely bending my knees. Um, but you know, like with most people, I think is once you go for long enough that you, even in your mind, cause everyone has like this complex, they think they're way better looking than they are. And like, you know, <laughs> once I saw my first bicep insertion or like my, my first what I thought was like something showing. I was like, Oh damn. Like (laughs) I thought I was huge. And yeah, it was like, once you start getting that dopamine hit and seeing the change in your body, whether it be, you know, athleticism, fitness, weight loss, weight gain, confidence. I mean, you know, the benefits that come from it, once you start seeing those, you're, you don't want to, you want to keep going. Like you want to keep seeing what you can achieve, um, you know, building your confidence, whatever. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, the rest is history, you know, and he's always so surprised because I keep up with him t- today and he's still like to this day, like he's like, I could not be more wrong about like if you were to ask me and bet my whole life savings and my entire <laughs> family's, you know, about to, you know, get 
fall off a cliff if Max will take fitness to the top of his like life, like and turn it into a career. He's like, I would have bet everything against you. And he's like, I cannot believe that the guy that I couldn't get to go to the gym is now like a top fitness influencer. Like, do you know how long it took you to get to that point from like, ugh, going to the gym, I don't want to do this to like being like, oh, this is, this is working a little bit. Like a month. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I remember, I remember, um, I want to say it was, it had to have been only like three to six months that like I started working out and then it was Halloween time. And for Halloween, uh, I can even find these photos on my Facebook of like, I, I went dressed as a basketball player from the school that I didn't end up, I, di- I didn't get into <laughs> VCU. So I would just wear like a VCU, like mesh shorts and um, like a VC, like a, like a Jersey, right? Yeah. With no shirt underneath. And I remember putting that on and me just like thinking that I'm like so jacked. And I remember like walking into this Mexican restaurant that was right next to where we lived. We would go on Tuesdays for like, you know, taco Tuesday. And, um, and I remember walking through in like my, my cutoff, jersey and i was like everyone is looking how fucking good i look (laughs) everyone everyone is staring at me and it's funny because i look at these photos and i look like a twig like a twig (laughs) but i thought i was huge i thought i was shredded um that's amazing so yeah so it's like i I was hooked after like three months i'd I'd say a month to three months like i was i was hooked and then and then i the the strength training came a little bit later um yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's a crazy full circle of not hating fitness, not caring about it, having to be convinced to go do it starting way later than a lot of people do. Cause most people maybe nowadays everyone's, you know, I mean, it's probably a lot of the gear everyone's blasting, but like now <laughs> kids at 19 are like looking six times better than I do at 33. And I've been lifting for 10 years and they've been lifting for two. And I'm like, what, what are these kids eating? Like what, you know, um, so yeah, I, I feel like I got a late start to fitness and then I just ran with it. And it's one of those things that, you know, I don't, I have really skinny legs. I'm, I don't have the best genetics. Like I did a lot of things early on that didn't give me, uh, the size I probably could have had now if I didn't try to stay so lean very early on in my newbie gain type of things like, you know, but now the damage has been done and this is kind of like what I'm working with. Right. And, um, but, uh, I, I think fitness changed my life for the, for the best. And it's, it's wild that if I never started working out, I would have never started a candy company, which has nothing to do with fitness, but like <laughs> fitness got me to starting candy, which is weird. So we got to talk about that. And, and by the way, I, I want to be conscious of your time. Do you got to go soon? No, you're, you're good. You're good, man. So, um, I want to talk about sour strips, but first I want to talk about uh, one more thing. And just for everyone who doesn't know, Max owns an amazing, amazing candy company called Sour Strips. If you like sour candy and you're not getting sour strips, go get it. It's amazing. Uh, And we'll talk more about it in a second. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your time as a personal trainer. Because I would love to hear your thoughts on being a personal trainer. So when did you become a personal trainer and how'd you like it? (laughs) So it was right before I got my senior internship. So it it was basically almost like my senior year of college. I, uh, I, I got approached. And now that I think about it and the guy that did it, it was this guy named like Ryan or something, but like he was a such a, now that I think back, I was like, he was the best salesman of the world, but he was like this, the, he was a personal trainer manager and I was working out at my school gym. And because I was 
at the time, let's see, I had been working out for like three, four years. I was in the, in the mode where I was so lean and shredded at all times, um, that I just looked good. I was strong. And I remember he came up to me while I was working out and was basically like, kind of like, you know, Hey, like you, 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 you look like, you know what you're doing in terms of like, you know, obviously you've done something right, whatever. He's like, you should get into personal training. Like, and then he was like, you can make all this money and blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and I was like, Oh shit. All right. And you know, I don't know if it's the same way now, but to me, when he, when I got that job as a personal trainer at gold's gym, I thought I was like, this is the Mecca. This is like, this is the dream. I was like a personal trainer at gold's gym, like gold's gym, Arnold, Arnold, I'm, I'm, I'm Arnold, you know? And, uh, it was, it was really cool for a while there. Um, and I trained a lot of people and actually, you know, personal training actually helped my YouTube because I, I never really documented that I was a personal trainer. I would wear my like gold's gym shirt sometime, I but there was a that. guy that I trained who his family, um, it was this guy named Blake and his dad owned a camera shop. And after the gold's gym, we, he was like, I would like train with him or I would train him at gold's gym. And then when his like package was coming up to being done, he was kind of like, he's like, this shit's like so expensive. He's like, do you make the, like the money? Like how much money do you make off of like training me? Right. And, and I'm like, Oh, I make, you know, I would make like $8 an hour for being at the gym and I'd make an extra and I'd, then I'd make $10 an hour extra during training session. So I was making $18 an hour if I was training someone. Right. Um, and he's like, well, he's like, what if, what if I just like come work out at the gym you work out at and like, I just pay you, I'll pay less than I'm paying at gold, but I'll just pay you like the money. So under the kind of under the table. And obviously you can't do that at gyms, but I'm like, whatever, fuck it out. Then no one's going to know. Um, <laughs> but we worked out this deal. I was like, well, what if instead of that, what if, can you just give me a camera because you own a camera <laughs> store and he like, he just wrote it off as like a, at, like a marketing thing. So he's like a tax write off or whatever. But he gave me this, like my first, if you go back to my early videos, when I got a nice camera and you'll see me like adjusting the, the focus all the time because autofocus wasn't a thing. Um, that's the camera that I got from training this guy that exchanged training sessions for this camera. Got it. But the, the training was cool. But one thing that I, 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 I took from it that I still hear today is whenever it's generally like if like my girlfriend or someone gets trained by a personal trainer and like, whenever you hear anyone from the trainer and I'm like, well, how's your session? Like, Oh, like, Oh my God, my ass kicked. Like this trainer is so good. <laughs> and I think back to when I was a trainer and I'm like, I was like, I know what trainers do because like, I would like, you can make, you can make anyone so tired and exhausted. Like all you got to do, put them through a little circuit, give them less rest time, have them do a whole bunch of shit. And anyone's going to be out of breath, sweating, exactly. whatever. Yep. And people sometimes result that as they're an amazing trainer. When in reality, I remember when I was a trainer, I was like, I'm just telling you to do 10 exercises back to back. Of course, you're going to be, <laughs> get your ass kicked. So I was like, that's like, that doesn't make them a great trainer. That just make, means they tired you out really fast. Um, but I, I learned a lot, but then I also like realized I didn't want to go through my life you know, it's like Mark Wahlberg in the pain and gain movie where he's like, I don't want to count reps for a living. You know, he's right, like, I count right. reps for a living. Like, I didn't want to just be like, all right, yep. All right. Squeeze your lats together. Okay. And eight, nine, you know, I just, <laughs> I, I didn't really want to do that. So then I left the personal training thing, ended up getting an internship at like a stock brokerage firm 
for a short period of time. And then, then I started my full-time journey. All right. So personal training career didn't last long. Eventually you've now created a candy business. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? And I believe it's one of the largest candy businesses, at least in the country, if not the world right now, which is wild because it's still relatively new. Yeah. Like, how did you go from fitness to candy? Well, like I said in my fitness journey story about how I would be eating sour punch straws, you know, uh, you know, sitting on the couch. Um, I've been a diehard candy lover since I, as long as I can remember. And I always say this thing that I don't think people really like, uh, like fully like think that I'm serious about, but I was like, ever since I've been, as long as I can remember, maybe 10 years old, every time I've gone into any store, any gas station, anything, I walk down the candy aisle. I've always done it because not only would I buy a pack of candy, I would also just like, look, is there any new candy out? Is there any, is there any new? And periodically it'd be like, usually it's one of the, you know, the main conglomerates that has a new version of their candy, another flavor or something. But every time there was a new candy, you would, as someone like me, cause I'm a candy lover, not just like, Oh yeah, I eat Skittles sometimes. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I, I eat candy. Like I eat sour candy. I'm a connoisseur of it. Right. Um, I would eat it till like my stomach hurts. And, um, so whenever there's like a new candy or whatever, you'd always try it. I'd always be disappointed because it was, it always be like extreme sour. Cause I was a big sour guy and it just never would hit. I'd always be disappointed, you know? And, um, Fast forward, you know, I'm eating candy throughout my whole life. Candy became like almost an identity on my YouTube channel. There's a million videos you can watch of me eating candy, talking about this candy that was my favorite for a long time was this Rips candy. And for a while, then they changed the formula. And if then they changed the packaging and I always tell my audience, I'm like, make sure if you get this candy, you have to get this type of packaging because it's the old formula and it's so much better. And like, it was like a thing. If you look at videos, when I would go to expos, if you look in the background on the, the, behind the where like where the the backdrop is you look on the ground there's a whole there's a mountain of sour candy because people would bring me candy from at these expos they'd bring it from their country from their state they would just bring me bags of sour patch kids because <laughs> i was the candy guy like it was just it's something that like if you know me you're like oh oh max made oh, of course of course he made candy of course like um and then flash forward uh it's 2000 and you know, late 2017, early 2018. And, um, you know, Christian Guzman, uh, owner of Alphalete, he comes out with the, it's at the time up energy, energy drink, uh, now is 3d. And the reason he did that is because he, like I was with candy, he was that with energy drinks in the fitness space. He really did popularize. He started the trend of like the white monster Correct. energy drink. Like he just Correct. did. And I remember him before I even met him, he was buying these energy drinks. And I would, when I went to the Seven Eleven, I was like, there, there's that white monster that that Christian guy always gets in his videos. Let, let me, let me like try it out. And it's like, now I know how people are influenced because they're like, they see it and they're like, yeah, let me try it out. And they try it like, oh, that is good. And then they start incorporating it in their life and they were influenced by an influencer, right? So when Christian started the energy drink thing, at first I was like, well, that's, that's like a left field kind of thing. Like it makes sense, but I'm like, bro, that's a real product. That's, that's not a clothing. Like we, we, we do clothing. We're fitness influencers. And, you know, Christian doing Christian things, thinking bigger than the average person. Um, he was like finding success with that. So I kind of, that kind of sparked the idea of, let me, let me see if I can 
do something different. Let me see if I can create like a physical product. Right. Um, and Christian launched that business with some business partners who he still has today, who also are business partners. They're the part owners of, uh, Alani nutrition. They're the part owners of prime, um, mm-hmm. these two guys, Trey and Max, and then they're, they're, these guys are really, really smart, but they're these business savvy business partners. So when I wanted to start this and I had the idea for candy, I was like, okay, well, I, I, I need to have business partners because Christian's so smart and he, he needed business partners, obviously. Like, I don't know how to put a physical product. Like, where do you even get bags made? How do you get a barcode? What is it? How do you know what the barcode does? Um, so I, I reached out to some buddies who were, dude, it's okay. My dog's, dude, my dog's having a nightmare. He's whimpering in the background <laughs> over there. Um, where was I? Okay. So yeah. So I reached out to a couple of buddies who were, um, big in the, the real estate world, but they were just like, I don't, I, I describe them as just business guys. They were just business savvy guys. So I'm like, you guys do real estate and you have a lot of money. You definitely know how to start a candy company. So I was like, all right, let's all split it. Let's go, let's get thirds each and let's start this candy brand. And they're like, all right. And they were like, we'll be silent partners. You don't even need to mention that we even exist. You can say you own hundred percent of it, whatever you want to tell people. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. Y'all do all the back end work and figure out how to get this off the ground and figure out how to even, you know, where do we get candy made? And, um, and that kind of, we hit a lot of roadblocks. We tried for about four to six months. We found a lot of difficulty in whether it be manufacturer taking us seriously because we we're a new client and, you know, uh, you know, our order volume was not going to be anywhere near what, cause you know, all these factories are not making one product they're making, you know, for a lot of different companies They're because, you know, they're maximizing the efficiency of their, their production facility. Right. So for you to come in and be like, yeah, I want a couple boxes of candy. I want to see if it works. They're like, nah, go away, kid. So we hit a lot of roadblocks and ended up just kind of fizzling out. And then a couple months later, I moved to Texas end of 2018 and then early 2019. Um, I don't know the, it was probably around like February that I just had this, I was like driving one night and I was like, God, I really like, I really want to try again on this fit on this candy thing. Like, I think I can figure it out. Like I, I'm just going to go back to the drawing board reach out to all the same people that I reached out to before. Maybe things have changed. It's been like six months. And I just kept Googling, just kept Googling, kept emailing, kept emailing different people, different companies, different factories, researching. Um, and, uh, eventually figured it out. And then I thought up the names, sour strips. And it was this, you know, when I thought up the name, there's, I mean, I don't know how deep you want me to go, but I can tell you like the, the reason it's called sour strips is like a very specific reasoning for yeah. that as well. And Why? okay. So, uh, I originally, like I said, my, my original, my original favorite candy was rips. Mm-hmm. And that was the candy that I was like, okay, I think I can make a better version of this candy. Like this candy has changed. It's not as good as it once was. I know what, I know what it needs to happen to it to make it better in terms of like how it needs to taste, whatever, how it needs to to hit you. So I was like, all right, like how can I make a a company? And at first I was going to call the company, uh, strips instead of rips and and do it with a (laughs) Z. And I was too worried. I was like, okay, that's like, it's kind of, it's so similar, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, that's rips. This is strips. This is with, and it's with, it's with a Z, right? There's no confusion um, with the copyright there. Yeah. And, and that wasn't the main reason why I did, but I was just like, all right, that's, that's too similar. But when I had this idea of like strips, I was like, okay, it's going to be sour strips, right? I'd put sour, like the, the name would be strips and then the name would be sour. And 
I basically came to this realization that so sour strips is a literal description of the product. It's a generic describing what the product is. It's literally sour strips, right? And basically the approach that I went with was I call it the the Kellogg's frosted flakes of candy. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I tell you, hey Jordan, can you go get me some frosted flakes? You know exactly you're gonna get Kellogg's frosted flakes from the store, right? Like if I ask that. But right next to Kellogg's frosted flakes is Kroger frosted flakes. Right. Same name because, and the reason they can do that is because it's literally describing what the product is. And now Kellogg's Frosted Flakes does have Frosted Flakes trademarked, but that's only if someone's trying to create the word uh, Frosted Flakes to make it look like Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. It's the way that it looks, but anyone can make Frosted Flakes. Anyone can make, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some, another example. Um, I don't know. Frosted Flakes is a great one. (laughs) So Frosted Flakes, right? Uh, it's a generic term of what the product is. So I was like, what if you did that on a candy brand? Like, what if it's sour strips? There's been other sour strips out in the world, but it's kind of like this other brand and their sour strips. And I'm like, what if you made sour strips the thing? So it so when people are like, oh, I want sour strips, it's a generic term, but people know that they want this brand. They want mm-hmm. this one. And it was like an easy name to remember. It rolls off the tongue. It doesn't, it's not spelled in some weird way. Um, and then when I searched on Instagram, sour strips was available, the handle. And then I went on GoDaddy and it considered it a premium domain, but it was like for like 200 bucks. It was, it was available. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so sour strips was available, um, on both of them. So I got those. And then the parent company is called actual candy. And the idea behind that was like, oh, if I make an, another type of candy, smart, I can yeah. have a, you know, it's a parent company, kind of like a Haribo has like a bunch of stuff, Mondelez, right. um, and it's called actual candy, which is a kind of a weird name, but my mindset, my mindset was like, I kept saying like, why can't any brands make any like candy that's actually sour? Like, why can't they make any actual sour candy? And I was like, actual candy. I was like, that's really good. And then if you look on the, the back of our, uh, back of our bags, which we have trademarked officially, but like we have, you know, you see it, but it says like actual sour candy right here. So we kind of like played off the parent company name as a slogan for the brand. So yeah, that's kind of the the story of it. And then it, you know, the rest is history and it's been, it'll be four years in September and, you know, now it was was from an idea and now we're going to be in, by the end of this month, we'll be in like 8,000 stores and have a, a lot, a lot coming in the next six to 12 months that will hopefully catapult us to the next level and it's it's been a wild ride man well you've crushed it with it it is without question my wife and my favorite candy we uh routinely whenever we watch tv or movies we'll get like a bag of popcorn and sour strips and like go between the the sour and the salty over and over again so i i I love it so like what what brings me a lot of happiness is that it's like not only people like and being like oh enjoy it but i want sour strips to be that staple candy that people are like it's it's not just like an influencer brand it is a it is a real living organism by itself right i want kids like there's kids now that are going to be raised and that's going to be their favorite candy and that's what's so that's what's the bigger picture for me i was like it's not about you know it does well financially it it's a it's a success and you know i i'm still working so hard every day and i'm very hands-on with it 
but the the real gratification I get is changing is making an impact in the candy industry of like someone who's been a diehard fan and knowing that like something that was an idea from me that now there's going to be people that that is what they get their kids who have no idea who I am they want sour strips and like it that's what I love about it is just like it's it's this disruptive thing to the market I'm not reinventing the wheel but I just brought something into an industry that has been the same for 50 years and I've I've disrupted it with a a cool brand like everyone else didn't make everyone would make these brands that are focused towards kids. And I'm like, why don't you make a brand that's, you know, I'm a 30 year old and I like eating candy. Why don't you make a brand that can appeal to all, right? Like appeal to the older generation where it doesn't have like these cutesy little characters. I was like, what if, what if you make them like angry? What if you put these little angry characters on them? You know? And it was my friend Joe that thought up like putting angry characters. And then we went on this website and got like a designer and like this was like the this was like the best idea ever to make little characters, and yeah, I, I it's it's but but it, I don't want people to look at my story and think that I had this like structured plan. People told me what to do, the order to do them. I figured everything out with a lot of help from my friends. Every day, I figured it out. I was in the weeds. I didn't know what you had to have on a bag. I didn't know where to make a barcode. I didn't know that you needed a different barcode for the box that these go in. I didn't know any of this. And it's like, and I've made a lot of mistakes and I've spent a lot of money and I've wasted a lot of time. And, um, but I've figured it out. And I think a lot of people do the paralysis by analysis and they think they need to know everything, but I didn't know anything about anything with this besides how to make something stand out for someone who would love candy to walk down the aisle and check it out. And the experience that it needed to taste, feel, chew like, for someone who likes sour candy of how they could be like, Oh, this is going to be what I'm going to get next time I go to the store. And the next time I go to the store. And it really, it comes full circle back to maybe not doing well in school, prepared you to deal with those failures, deal with those setbacks. Like it's okay. Like you don't yeah. know, but it doesn't mean you're not going to try. Well, one thing that I've selfishly wanted to know is what was the process like in terms of, so you get the, you figure basically, uh, at least the first part out, like who's going to make it, you figure like all this stuff out, but then like, I'm assuming the first taste test didn't go. It wasn't like, Hey, this is it right away. Or maybe it was like, what, what was that first taste test? Like, and did you have to send it back? Did you have to like, what was that process? So, like? I mean, you go through, so we went through a lot of different manufacturers and there were a lot of people because again, you're, you're just like, you're not trying to, it's not like you're going to a factory that has never made candy before, right? Like right, it, right. you're not, it, you're going to people who have been doing this for a long time. So they know how to like deliver a base product to you, right? Like, it's not like they've never made a belt before. They've never, right. it's, you don't want to go to a factory that's never made the candy. Like, you know, you're not in trying to reinvent it. You're trying to like get a product and make it into the masses, into the world, right? And, and, and do all the branding and everything. And for a while, we went with a lot of different manufacturers that there were a lot of setbacks and problems with the sampling process. Um, again, like I mentioned, how I wanted to create like almost a, a competitor to, to rips back in the day um, was my original strategy was going to go with a bite-sized version. And for a while, that was like, I, I didn't plan on going with the, the longer belts. I was going to go with short versions and just like be like, oh, I'm going to make a better version of this candy that I already like, right? And the manufacturer for that one was like, 
they sent these samples and, you know, they would tweak them and then, you know, they would have a lot of issues. Like, you know, something that I hate when I open candy is that if it's a, uh, I call it like, it's kind of like wet in the bag. And basically it's a lot of the ingredients breaking down uh, a lot of the acids that creates this chemical reaction that creates this like almost moisture in the bag. So if you've ever opened a bag of sour candy and it's kind of like wet would be the, the answer or it's like sticky on your fingers, it's because of the, the chemicals and like it's mm. science, right? I don't have time to explain science to everyone. <laughs> and um, I remember getting a lot of samples early on and being like, oh, this is like, they're sticking together in the bag. They're sticky when I touched them. Like, can we, can we fix this? And I remember some of the, the manufacturers were like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? No. And they're like, no, this is just, it, it, that's how it, that's how it is. I'm like, well, can't we get a little closer? Like, can't we just get a little less annoying with it? They're like, no, this is how it is. Take it or leave it. Cause again, like th they don't take you seriously. No one's going right. to take you seriously until now. If I came in, I'm like, yeah, I need three 40 foot containers of product a month. You know, like then they're like, oh shit. All right. Yeah, we'll do. We'll, 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 you know, we'll, we'll come down and zip, unzip your pants now. And like, you know, it's like, it just, you, you had to become a real person. And, um, and so we did go through a lot of trial tribulations. We did sample a lot of different stuff and we finally found a manufacturer that had a great product that we were able to, um, you know, take and scale. And there are, there's still so many struggles and, you know, problems that I had to overcome and face in terms of supply chain and learning all these things um, that has like molded me into the business owner that I am now. And I think a lot of people who start most influencers, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm not trying to put me on some cool pedestal, but like most influencers who start brands have partners for great reason, because I understand the amount of time effort where they're like, Hey, my focus needs to be on content creation. Right. Um, where for me, I was like, what if I kind of integrate this into my content creation? So I don't need to, I can be hands-on with it and I can document it at the same time and make it this like kind of, uh, you know, ecosystem. And I want to, I, I enjoy being hands-on with this brand. And, and I think maybe people, if you don't consume my content, you probably still think that there's someone secretly like running this brand and making all the decisions but there's not, there's, you know, every retailer that we are in the emails that they've reached out to us to set up those processes and reached out to be interested in carrying sour strips. Um, all of those emails to this day come straight to me and they go through me first. I'm the one that vets them. I'm the one that sends them the documents. I'm the one that's making these PDF documents. Um, you know, and then it goes through the chain of command, but like, I'm still, I'm so hands-on this business every day in the weeds operations, very deep in this business. I can tell you everything about everything. I can tell you any question you have about why we did a certain design on this bag. I can tell you the exact reasoning and what it was before. I can tell you why I can tell you anything about anything about the business. And I think I take a lot of pride in that. And that's what I, I hold myself to a high standard of if I'm going to put my name behind this, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to, I want to learn how to build this business by building the business, not by just getting a report at the end of the month of how well we're doing and what's the revenue, right? I want to, I want to be, I'm the one handling the finances. I'm the one handling the budgets. I'm the one handling this stuff. And, uh, you know, we have a great small team that's been, you know, crucial to our growth. And I'm really excited to see where we're going to, where, where we're going to be in six to 12 months. And I think if we have the same conversation, Sour Ships is going to be, two to three X what it is today in a year for sure.
in a day and age in which everyone wants to scale and work less and like just have other people run things, it's it's not a surprise that you've been as successful as you are because as you said, you're in the weeds, you know everything about everything about your business. You're not expecting your employees to do things that you wouldn't do or aren't doing. So it's uh it's really amazing. I've stocked the damn shelves, man. I I've like I've <laughs> Like on a Saturday, I've load, I've filmed videos about it, like loading my car up, driving to the grocery store, going in the back delivery door, inputting it in their old, old computer system, loading it on, scanning it in, taking it down the aisle, stocking the shelves, taking the cart back, breaking the boxes down, you know, and like, that's what I should pay a distributor to do. But I was like, I want to learn how it, I want to learn the process of how it gets into the store. And I was yeah. like, I'll do it. Like I'll, as the owner of the company. Like, and people kept asking me like, oh, do you work for it? I was like, no, I own it. They're like, why are you stocking the shelves? I'm like, why wouldn't I? Like, why wouldn't I be in here? Yeah. Like, why would I not want to know this process? Why would I not want to know, you know, the intricacies of the business that I'm running? Where, where can people buy it? Where can uh, people- Everywhere at the Sour moment, uh, you know, sourships.com is our website, which we landed with a great website. Uh, you know, now we're on Amazon, we're nationwide in Target, we're in a lot of convenience stores throughout the country that we're continuing to expand. We're about to roll into every single Hobby Lobby. We're in a thousand Walmarts. We're about to lock in a lot more uh, huge gas station convenience store retailers. So hopefully hopefully in the near future, anyone who's listening can walk into their gas station or grocery store down the street from them and you'll be able to see this hanging on a peg. And so that's a, a super cool, super cool feeling. I love that. Dude, Max, I want to I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to come on. It's uh it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. Um is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with whether tell them where they can follow you or any any extra message that you have for them? Come and find me on Instagram Threads. Now, come check out my YouTube channel. That's what I always plug. Like I never even, you know, you asked about Starship, so I plug that, but like, you know, I if, come to my YouTube, check out the vlogs see if you like what I'm about. And then, you know, if you want to support and learn about the businesses that I run and the things that I, the brands that I work with, you'll be able to find them from there, but just come enjoy some free content, get some laughs, get some dumb Joe dirt, dumb and dumber, Nacho Libre movie quotes on a regular basis. And uh, I'll show you how we're building this business. And I'm going to show you that, you know, you don't have to be a, be someone who's like a guru or someone that appears to know it all to find success in life. And you can just be, someone who maybe thought you were going to go the average path and you can do amazing things if you put your mind to it. I love it. Thank you, Max. I'll, I'll put your Instagram in the, the show notes, but thank you, man. I really, really appreciate it. This has been great. Absolutely. Appreciate everyone listening.